Thanks for tuning in to the Three Strands podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. All right, we're going to do a, a little Bible study today. Is that okay? A little different maybe, a little different. It's going to do a lot of scripture to look at. Uh, if you're a note taker, hope you'll jot some of this down. Go back, study it out even deeper later on your own. But the issue we're going to talk about today, the piece of our mission statement we're going to look at today, it is woven throughout everywhere in the Bible. And so I cannot share with you everything the Bible has to say about this topic, but we're in this series called On Purpose, trying to live our lives with intentionality. And to do that, we're taking a look at our church mission statement. How did that become our mission statement? Where do these ideas come from in the Bible? Is there a way for us as a family to kind of rally around all these concepts and really attack this world for the kingdom of God. And so uh, if we can all get unified, become one, and get on the same page with these um, truths and principles from God's word, we'll make a difference in our county, in our world, that will ripple out beyond our lives and echo into eternity. And so we're kind of piecing this together and pulling apart um, pieces of our mission statement. So each week I'm giving it to you. Here's our mission statement, creating a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at what it means to have a culture of redemption. If you weren't here, I hope you'll go back and listen to some of that online. But um, this week, we're going to be focused on what it means to have the freedom or be free to experience. And uh, so to do that, um, what I need to do is give you like some background information first to get to that. Um, and, uh, and that's going to take us just a few minutes. And so just kind of bear with me on that. But in, uh, before we get rolling, like, I just want to talk about um, kind of a famous American monument. So in, upper, in the upper harbor outside of New York City, there's a statue. Maybe you've been to it. Uh, it's green now. It wasn't green originally, but uh, um, corrosion or whatever has kind of uh, changed the copper green. And so there's a statue. We call it the Statue of Liberty, right? And the Statue of Liberty was a gift to the American, uh, the new American nation by the French um, to celebrate our 100-year anniversary as a country. And it was supposed to be this symbol of freedom, right? Liberty. And so it's 150 feet tall, but it sits on top of a 150 foot tall platform that America made to set it on, right? So they made it over in France, they unassembled it, they brought it over here, and it took them 10 years to set it up. 10 years, it's crazy. And so in 1886, supposed to be 1876 to celebrate the 100 year anniversary of our country, but in 1886, they dedicated the statue, and it's been standing there ever since, been uh, renovated and remodeled a little bit, but still to this day, it stands there, and it's supposed to um, shine out or look out the rest of the world and be this symbol of freedom, that if you could come here, you could find freedom. And uh, those of you who have gone to church here for a long time, you know that I never talk about politics from the front. I think that's, I don't know. I have political views, but I try not to share them from the front because it just gets people angry. I don't want you to be angry at me about something that doesn't really matter for the scope of eternity. And so we almost never talk about politics. Today's the closest I'm ever going to get to that, okay? But I'm going to just share with you like my own belief that I think that over the last hundred years, the definition of the American dream has been hijacked. Politically sometimes, or just sometimes culturally, But um, I think that most people in our country now believe that the American dream has to do with money. It has to do with getting rich. Or or maybe some semblance of what they call the perfect life. 
right? That if I can get to America, I could have 2.5 kids, a dog, and a picket fence, and that's the American dream, right? Uh, if I could get to America, I could get a job that pays me enough to live comfortably, and that's the American dream. But really, that isn't the American dream. If you could rewind in our nation's history and go back to the first 100 years or so, or 100, 150 years of our nation's history, you would see that most of the people in this country weren't wealthy. Most of them didn't have a picket fence. Most of them didn't have uh, comfort and luxury, but they still felt like they had the American dream. Because the, the real American dream doesn't have anything to do with money. You can be poor and still have the American dream. You can not have any kids and still have the American dream. You can not live in the perfect house. You can be renting someplace you don't even like and still have the American dream. Because the real American dream that I think has been hijacked, the real American dream is really all about freedom. That what makes America great, what makes America the land of opportunity isn't about money or how many people you can surround yourself with, or where you get to live. It's about being free. And so the Statue of Liberty is supposed to be this symbol that represents our freedom. That if you could just get to these shores, it's ironic because it sits on Liberty Island, which overlooks Ellis Island. I've been to New York City, I don't even know, maybe 20 times in my life, and I've never gone to the Statue of Liberty. It's so crazy, you know? But it's just, I've seen it, but I've just never gone to it. But it's supposed to be like this symbol of freedom, and it it sits just overlooking Ellis Island, which Ellis Island is where for, you know, 150 years or so, any immigrants that came to the United States went through Ellis Island to get kind of registered into the country. And so here you come to this nation, and you're looking for something, you're looking for this dream, but the dream they're looking for is really freedom, that I can pray to whoever I want to pray to, and nobody's going to kill me for it, that I'm free to go and live my life without the government taking everything from me that I'm free to, to, to live in some semblance of security and not have to worry about everything going on around me, but I can just live a free life however I want, that I can have a life full of liberty and the pursuit of my own happiness, and I don't have to worry about oppression. That's really the American dream. And so um, it brings us to this topic today of freedom. And part of our mission as a church is to give freedom to other people. But that's impossible if you don't have freedom yourself. And so I got to do kind of this legwork, this background work to explain to you, like, what is freedom? Like, what is real freedom that we're talking about? It's not the American dream. It's actually better than that. And so I look throughout the whole Bible and this idea of freedom in Christ or God giving us freedom, it's everywhere. I'm asking myself as I studied this week questions like freedom from what? Freedom from who? Freedom for who? These are all questions that need to be answered if you're going to have a real relationship with God where you experience freedom. If you're going to be able to give freedom to others, you have to be able to, you yourself, experience this freedom. So we're trying to help others find freedom, but freedom from what? And maybe you're here today and you think, I didn't even know I was a slave. I didn't even know people were captive. I didn't even know that was a thing. I don't even exactly know what you're talking about. Yes, the Bible talks about it everywhere. That I was once held captive by sin and death. That I was completely dead in my trespasses and sin and unable to do anything about it. And God stepped in and he freed me. If you want a great place to read them, just read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. We're not going to look at those today, 
But the first 10 verses, they lay this concept out perfectly, how we are completely dead and helpless all on our own. And yet God is so rich in mercy and grace that he steps in and he gives us freedom through Jesus. He does it not so we'll be happy or content. He does it so he can point at us throughout the rest of time as an example of how great his grace is. And I was listening to somebody talk this week about how, um, how everybody's afraid to talk about the wrath of God today. But they said, if there is no wrath of God, then there's no such thing as the grace of God. If God actually isn't freeing you from something, then, then there is actually no freedom that's necessary. And so we need to understand that God is, is at our enemy, that God is, has got wrath against humanity because we disobey him. And without that wrath, God is incapable of stepping in and showing us what freedom looks like, showing us what real love is all about, showing us grace and mercy from his end. And so we need kind of both sides of that to understand it. Of course, Jesus said, if he set you free, that you're really free. The Bible describes us as prisoners, as being completely guilty with no defense and no grounds for any appeal before the Lord. There are sentence we deserve is death. And we are helpless captives. But, but all throughout the Bible, you get this concept. And the psalm writer in Psalm 118, verse 5, said it this way. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. This is everywhere in God's word. He doesn't talk about hardly anything as much as he talks about this. His desire to free us, his, his pattern of showing grace and mercy when we just ask him for it his rescue of the captives. This is all that he wants to talk about. This is what God does for you through Christ. This is what he wants to do for you if you've never experienced freedom. If you're here today and you don't even know what we're talking about, there's a good chance you're in need of freedom from God. And he wants to give it to you today. His grace is great enough for you too. I was thinking this week about back when I was in college, a long, long time ago, Ethan, a long, long time ago, back when I was in college, one summer I uh, ran into this um, older couple, and they were going to let me and one of my buddies stay with them for the summer, take some classes, and uh, uh, wouldn't have to pay for any room and board and stuff. And um, the, the lady, she taught swimming lessons, and she asked me if I wanted to help her all summer. And so for one summer in college, I actually helped teach swimming lessons. But before I could do that, I had to go get my lifeguard certification. So I went down to like the local YMCA in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I had to take this, sign up to take this class to get, be certified as a lifeguard. And I was thinking about that class this week, and um, they have you do all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I had to like tread water for 30 minutes without using my arms. And stuff like that. Like, it was like crazy stuff like that, you know. And you had to be able to like hold your breath underwater a certain amount of time and be able to swim at a certain speed. And all this stuff they made you, kind of these hoops they made you jump through to become lifeguard certified, right? And uh, I'll never forget like one lesson I learned in that class was when you're a lifeguard and you're trying to save somebody who's drowning, they told us that the most dangerous part of the whole rescue, the, the biggest hurdle you have to overcome is the person who's drowning that they are likely to pull you down with them. And so a, a trained lifeguard, what you have to do is like no matter which direction the flailing person is facing, no matter which direction the drowning person is in relationship to you, when you enter the water, you swim around them. Even though it might take you longer. You swim around them. You come at them from behind because a drowning person, if they can get a hold of you, 
This is where like the next level like kind of theologians in the group need to like see through the, the story to the story behind the story here. You ready? If the drowning person can get a hold of you, they will pull you down under with them. So you swim around behind them and you get your arm up underneath their arms and with two legs and one arm, you swim them to safety, right? You, you become their flotation device and then you swim them to safety. You, you become the only thing standing between them and death and what you're doing is dragging them to freedom, to safety. And this is not unlike what we're trying to do as a church. We're finding people who are drowning, and we're trying to drag them to Jesus. And, and if we're not careful along the way, they will yank you down with them. And so you've got to go about it the right way. You've got to know, how do I train myself to effectively lead somebody to Jesus? How do I help somebody else find freedom? Well, I better know how to swim on my own. I better know how to float. I better know how to, uh, uh, um, I better know how to um, do all these things that like a lifeguard needs to do. I better know how to find safety and freedom on my own if I'm going to help somebody else find it, right? And, and so now imagine that same scene and you jump in the water and you rescue somebody. But now this person's not flailing around. This person is actually worse off than that. And, and they're past the flailing their arms and legs around, the panicking and the screaming for help. They're past that point, and they've actually sunk down below the surface of the water, and they've taken some water into their lungs. They've lost consciousness. They're dead without you at that point. There's no coming back. There's no figuring it out on their own. And so I dive in the water, and I come up behind them, and I wrap my arm underneath their two arms and I scissor kick my legs and I pull them to the beach. And they lay on the beach motionless, water filling their lungs and they're laying there and they're literally a minute or two from death, right? If nobody does anything, they're dead. So I start giving them CPR. And after about 30 seconds of CPR, they spit out water and they start coughing and they take in this humongous gasp of breath and are alive, right? Now, in the meantime, a crowd is gathered around you on the beach, and as soon as they see that person cough and take in air of their own, what do they do? They start clapping and cheering. They're pumped up because somebody who was surely dead is now alive. If it's somebody standing around you that loves that person, if it's a family member, they're overwhelmed with gratitude and thankfulness that the person I thought I just lost is now alive. That's what we're trying to do as a church. Now imagine if that person stood up and the first thing they did was look at the crowd and say, wow, I really got myself out of that one. I really figured that one out. Do you guys see how I brought myself back? Do you guys see how I saved myself? No, only a fool would do that, right? They would be like, thank you for saving me. This is what it's like when we try to rescue people out there. But this is also what it's like when we or other people out there try to front as if like they figured it out on their own. The Bible says you're not going to figure it out on your own. You're dead. You're under. But God is so rich in grace and mercy that he bought you back from the dead. 
when he sacrificed his son on the cross. And he earned the right to adopt you into his family and breathe new life into your lungs that were filled with water. He earned that right when he raised Jesus from the dead. Because if he can defeat death in Jesus, why can't he defeat it for you? This is the message we're trying to tell the world. We are lifeguards trying to rescue the rest of the county, trying to rescue the rest of the world, trying to send ourselves out of this building and give freedom to other people. This is what we're trying to do. We're not trying to get credit for it, and they're certainly not going to get credit for it. All the credit for it goes to God. He is the one that gives us freedom. So what is this freedom that God is trying to offer us? Well, I've got it summed up for you today in four things. The fourth one is the one that really has to do with our mission statement, okay? But it doesn't make sense without the first three, so I've got to give you all four of them. Can I do that? The first two are things that God wants to um, free you from, and the second two are things that God wants to free you for. So if you're a note taker, just jot these four things down. This is, I could sum up the whole Bible's description of God's freedom for us in these four ideas, right? So the first one is this. God wants to give you freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. Now, if you've been in church a lot, you've probably heard this concept before. If you grew up in church like me, you probably heard him say, like, God wants to free you from the power and the presence and the penalty of sin, because that's how it was back in the day. Everything had to start with the same letter, right? So God wants to free you from the power and the presence and the penalty of sin. And I could go to a lot of different places in the Bible to read you one example of this, but let me just give you one from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Listen to what Paul writes. So now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Let me interpret verse 3 for you, right? He's saying all of God's laws are incapable of saving you because you can't be good enough to keep them all. Our sinful nature keeps us from obeying God's law. So yeah, you could get right with God if you could keep the whole law. But how's that going for you, trying to be perfect? And so because we can't keep God's law, because we can't live perfect lives, He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. By giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the concept we talked about last week, propitiation. That Jesus becomes the righteous sacrifice or the righteous satisfaction for our sins. Verse 4, he did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. What is the power of sin? Well, the power of sin is that whatever it is inside of you that makes you disobey God. You ever feel like it's just impossible to do the right thing? It's just impossible to do what God's asking me to do in that area. That's the power of sin. And God says, I sent Jesus to take your place, to live in the same kind of body you live in, to live a righteous life you couldn't live, to die to free you from that power. And now sin no longer has power over you. If you are in Christ, then you have power over sin. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but it means you can now make the choice to honor God with your decisions. 
You don't have to say yes to sin. You can overcome sin. There is always a way of escape. You can always resist the temptation. You can always choose God's answer, even if you feel like doing something else. You now get freedom to have power over the sin in your life. Power or freedom from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? The Bible couldn't be more clear. If you want to read a great chapter on this whole concept of our freedom from sin, read Romans chapter 6, the whole chapter. So good on this concept, right? But he ends with verse 23 in Romans chapter 6, which I don't have on the screen, but it just says that the payment or the wages for our sin is death. What is death? It's eternal separation from God. It's hell. That's what hell is. It's being separated from God forever. That's the penalty for our sins. But when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he freed us from that penalty. And in the presence of sin, do you ever feel like you just never shake your sin? You'll never get past what you've done. It'll always be hanging over your head. It'll always be this noose of shame around your neck. And Jesus said, no, I died for that. And when I rose from the dead, I freed you from the presence of sin. You don't have to walk around like sin is following you. Like sin is always going to define you. It's always going to name you. No, I have freed you. You don't have to decide to sin. You don't have to live in shame to sin. And you don't have to be eternally separated from God because of your sin. I have freed you from all of that. God is saying, I want to give you freedom from sin. And I want to ask you today, we'll come back to this question, but I want to ask you today, do you feel free when it comes to your sin? Sin is just the things that we disobey God in, the things God says not to do, and we do them. Do you feel free, or do you still feel fear? I don't know. I won't be able to not. I'm going to have to do that. You don't understand what I've done. Like, I'm going to get judged. I'm going to be guilty. You don't understand. It's always going to be dragging around my ankle as I walk through life. This sin, it's, it's everywhere. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't stop. I can't resist. I can't overcome it. I don't deserve heaven. I... All these content. Do you feel free when it comes to your sin or do you feel fear? Because if you feel fear, then you haven't experienced freedom. If you feel fear, John writes in 1 John, somewhere I can't remember, you have to ask me afterwards. John writes, if you still feel fear, then it proves you haven't actually experienced the real love of God because perfect love drives out fear. You don't have to be ashamed of that. It just is what it is. Don't sit here. Don't let the devil trick you into staying silent about your fear because somebody told you you became a Christian when you were three, because somebody baptized you when you were nine. None of that matters. Are you free or are you not free? God wants to give you freedom from your sin, but he also wants to give you freedom from the law. We'll, we'll explain this, but there's two different concepts here, right? Freedom from sin and freedom from the law. So let me read you an example of this one. It'd be in Galatians chapter 5, and they're all over the Bible too, but let me just read you one, starting in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 5. So Christ has truly set us free. There's that concept again, right? Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. That's an important verse right there. I want you to just kind of make a mental note for yourself. Like, apparently it's possible to experience some form of freedom, to understand something about the real gospel, to know Jesus somehow, but then still choose 
to run back to the law. We'll explain it in just a second, but just that's an important concept in the Bible. This happens all the time today, too. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you're here and you don't know what circumcision is, you've got to go ask your mom or dad afterwards. I'm not going to get into that. But let's just say it this way. It's a religious ceremony. we got a lot of those today. We're not doing a whole lot of circumcisions in churches today. A few denominations or religions are. We have our own religious ceremonies. We've got communion and we've got baptism and we've got special days and, and, and we walk down aisles and we sign cards and we do all kinds of things. We have confirmation classes and we have ordinations. We have all kinds of religious ceremonies in Christianity today. And this would apply to all of those. If you're counting on any of those things to make you right with God, then Jesus will be of no benefit to you. If you're counting on any kind of goodness of your own, any kind of performance, any kind of ceremony you've gone through, any kind of ritual you've done, then Jesus will be of no benefit to you. Verse 3, he says, I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Why? Because God says, if you're guilty of one law, breaking one law, then you're guilty of breaking all laws. So the only way you can be right with God through circumcision or baptism or communion or praying a prayer or coming to church a certain amount of time, the only way you can be right with God by trying to do one of those things is by doing everything God says perfectly. How's that going? If you're trying to make yourself right with God by one religious activity, then you've got to obey all those religious activities. You've got to keep every law. You've got to not only not murder and not commit rape or adultery, but you've also got to not cheat or lie. You've also got to not harbor anger in your heart towards other people. How's that going? Anybody that's from the north and has lived in McCreary County this week and driven around, you know what it's like to harbor anger in your heart at other people, right? Because they all drive crazy when it's like this outside, you know? And so it's like, if you're going to try to say, I'm going to get right with God by doing good things, you've got to do everything perfectly, he says. Verse 4, for if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But we who live by the Spirit, here's the opposite, we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one that called you to freedom. God gives us the law. And the instruction is really, if you could keep every single point of this law, you'll be right with me. But nobody can. We all break his law. And so we all deserve sin's penalty, death, eternal separation from God. And so along the way, we might hear somebody offer us the good news in Jesus. Hey, Jesus died for your sins. 
Hey, if you will just confess that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised them from the, from the dead for you, you'll be saved. Because in your heart you believe and with your mouth confession is made unto salvation. And you're like, yeah, I like what I hear. It sounds like it's a, a great idea. It sounds almost too good to be true. I really love it. And then you go out of here and you can still choose to run back to the law. You can still choose to say, like, I liked what I heard at that church service. I liked what that person told me. I liked what I read in the Bible. But you know what? I'm still deep down here and going to think that I have to make myself right with God. I got to bring myself up out of the water. I got to get things squared away. You can hear the gospel. You can even like what you hear. But you can still choose to run back to the law. You can still run back to like, no, no, no. I got to clean my act up to get right with God. You get the choice. Your way or God's way? My own effort or God's grace? And uh, here's the thing. There were only a few things that made Jesus angry. Just a couple. And uh, way, way less than make me angry. I get angry at a lot of stuff. But just a few things that made Jesus angry. And, and one of them was, uh, can you put verse 7 and 8 back up there from that Galatians passage we just read? This like really hit me in my heart this week. Like this whole idea. He says to them, you were running the race so well. You were coming to church. Let me, let me interpret that into 2024 for you, right? You were coming to church. You were listening to the word preached. You might have been reading it on your own. You thought it all sounded great. Who tricked you? Who, who has held you back from following the truth? And then the verse 8, the next line, in my head, it ought to be like, no, no, no. Don't let them trick you from following the truth. Keep following the truth. But instead, he says, it certainly wasn't God who tricked you from following the truth. He was the one who called you to freedom. Not, not truth, to freedom, right? And so it's like there's this element where I can get exposed to God's truth and I can almost have the onset of some freedom. I can see the answer. Uh, and, and it's like almost, almost you've persuaded me. Almost you've convinced me to trust Jesus. But you know what? No, I, I think I still have to be good enough. Who has tricked you? Not God, because he's the one that's saying you don't have to be good enough. I will free you no matter how messed up you are. And, and one of the only things that ever made Jesus angry was this concept of people who were robbing freedom from other people. People who were tricking other people into believing God's truth isn't the truth and you've got to earn your way there. You've got to uh, do a bunch of good things. And they're all over our world today, still. I, I could read you a lot of these, but let me just give you one example where Jesus got ticked off about this. Can I show it to you? It's in Mark chapter 3. Uh, Jesus goes into a synagogue. Just, just flash verse 1 up there a second. Uh, Jesus goes into a synagogue and... Uh, he, I think it's Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus went into a synagogue again, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand, okay? He notices this guy with a deformed hand. Jesus is going to heal the guy, but it's the Sabbath day, okay? Now watch what all the haters do when Jesus comes into the temple. They're trying to, like, catch him doing the wrong thing. So look, Jesus goes into the synagogue again, notices a man with a deformed hand, Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. 
If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. If Jesus sets this guy free from his disability, they're going to accuse him of breaking the law. You get it? Jesus knows that. And so Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of me. Then he turns to all the critics. I love this. Turns to the critics and he asks them this question. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? That's a good question. That's a good question. I, I don't know if you guys remember me telling you or not about that time I was digging a post hole in the county here on Sunday afternoon. Somebody drove past and yelled out their window, told me I was going to hell for working on Sunday. And that was literally at the church we were going to, digging a post hole in the churchyard for a sign for the church. And I was like, I just waved at him. I was like, thanks. You know, it's like, whatever, you know. But it's like, man, so many people are hung up on the law that they have no freedom. And so they're trying to catch Jesus so they can accuse him of breaking the law while he's trying to set a guy free, while he's trying to heal this guy from his deformity. And he asked them this fascinating question, and it says they wouldn't answer him. And now I love this. In verse 5, it says, Jesus looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. And at once, at once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. This has been going on for thousands of years. It goes on at our church all the time. People hating. We're trying to find people freedom. You understand? And I don't care what the Pharisees think. I just don't care. And that's going to rub some people the wrong way. It might rub you the wrong way if you're here. I just don't care. I just care way more about the audience of one and what he thinks. And so you need to buckle up and get ready because if this is the church you're going to be part of, if this is the church you're going to go to, the dirty, rotten scumbags, we want them to come right here. I want to go eat with them. Read the whole chapter before that, Mark chapter 2 sometime. It's story after story of them hating on Jesus for loving people who are dirty, loving people who are sick and deformed, loving people who are big-time sinners. He calls uh, Matthew to be a disciple. In Mark chapter 2, you should check this out sometime. He calls Matthew to be a disciple. Matthew's a tax collector, and, and he goes and he sits with them, and, uh, uh, and Matthew invites him over to his house, and he goes to his house, and it says Jesus went to Matthew's house to eat dinner, and there were a bunch of notorious tax collectors and sinners there, and they all asked his disciples, why, is your, why does your master eat with such scum? That's what they asked them. I want to eat with the scum. The truth is I am the scum. You ready? Like, I'm the dirty tax collector and sinner. And it isn't about how good I can make myself. It's about how free Jesus can make us collectively. So if this is going to be your church, you need to know that from now until the day we die, we're going to ask the sinful people to come. We're going to ask them to jump in and be part of what we're doing. We're going to love on them and treat them no different than I treat anybody else. They don't need me to beat them up. They don't need me to point out their deformed hand. They almost always know their hand's deformed. That they've got leprosy. That they've been cheating people. They almost always know that. And if they don't, I promise we'll let them know.
But God wants to free you from sin and free you from the law. But he didn't just save you. He didn't just give you freedom. He didn't just give you freedom from stuff. He wanted to give you freedom for stuff. So let me give you those two. In in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we are God's masterpiece. He created us brand new in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he planned for us long ago. You were designed to do good things for God. Not, Not so he'd love you more, not so he'd make you more free. He made you more free so you could do good things. And so not only did God want to get, does God want to give you freedom from sin and freedom from the law, he wants to give you freedom for serving. It just is what it is, you guys. It's all over the Bible. God says it over and over again. Let me read you just one example. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom. There's that concept again, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your own sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Here's this concept again. You get to choose your freedom. But in your freedom, you can choose to sin or you can choose to serve. People don't like that. When I sin, do I lose what God promised me? Of course not. If, if, if I sin and then I lose eternal life with God, then, then when I don't sin, I'm keeping my eternal life. If my sin costs me my salvation, then my righteousness must be what earns me my salvation. Now, how can that be if it's supposed to be God's grace that gives me eternal life? But I get to choose. I get to choose how I use my freedom. James wrote a whole letter about this. Are you going to take all the freedom in God you have and use it to do whatever you want? No, no, no. You're going to work out your salvation. You're going to be so thankful and grateful for what God has done. You're going to serve. And what he calls you to do is serve everyone else, especially those in the household of faith. I don't like it either. I'd like to just come sit and watch. I'd like to just stay home and watch something online, to be honest. But I'm going to drag myself here and serve the rest of you. Some of you don't even like that much. I'm going to do it anyhow. I like you, though, Pat. I was looking at you, but I'm just saying I like you. I like all of you guys, most of you guys. (laughs) But I get to choose, right, to choose sin or to choose to serve. I'm not even sure if there is such a thing. Come on now. I'm not even sure if there is such a thing as a real Christian, a real Christian, who doesn't use their gifts and abilities to serve other Christians. I don't even know if that's a real thing. I can't find it in the Bible. All the Christians in the Bible do that. So so I don't even know if there is like a real, like you're going to get to heaven and be like, God, I really loved you. I'm super thankful, but I couldn't stand the rest of your family. I just wasn't going to do a thing for them. Imagine if somebody said that to you. Yeah, I love you. You're like my best friend, but I hate your kids. They are jerks. You know what I mean? It's like you wouldn't want to hang out with that person. Some of you are like, some people have said that to me, you know. I love you. Your kids, they're a nightmare. But it's like, man, you can, you can choose. But I just don't think there is a real thing as a Christian who doesn't serve other Christians. Like most of the New Testament is written around this idea. You use your giftedness to serve the body of Christ. And so I'll ask you this question, like, are you serving or are you selfish? Because really the reason I, that God has me serve is because it keeps me from getting selfish. And if you find somebody who refuses 
to serve other Christians in the church, you will find yourself somebody who's super angry and selfish. It doesn't take very long when you don't serve anybody else in the group to where you start to think this whole thing's for you. And you're like, I just don't like what they're doing anymore. I don't like the way they're preaching. I don't like the way the music sounds. Did you hear that feedback? I don't like that. I'm leaving. Because it's all about you. Serving keeps me from being selfish. All right. So now you got it, right? God is offering you freedom from sin, freedom from the law, and freedom for serving. And here's the piece that comes into our mission statement. Ready? God hasn't just saved you from that stuff and for serving. He's also, he's also given you freedom for saving. For saving. I could show you a lot of examples of this, but I just want to go back to the one I, br- I briefly touched on last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just read it to you. Starting in verse 19, even though, Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have chosen to, I have willingly decided to, I have become a slave to all people. Why? To bring many to Christ. He goes through this gauntlet of what he's done. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I'm not subject to that law, I did it anyhow just for their sake. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. No, I obey the law of Christ. You get it? I'm not all about the rules laid out. I'm all about the freedom Jesus is offering. There are rules. There are good things to do. I can do things to honor God. But I'm setting those aside for the betterment of everybody else. I'm out there hunting for people to save them. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. You know what free people do? They free people. That's what they do. Let's tackle this one again too, right? I'm not even sure if there is such a thing as a real Christian that isn't hunting for other people to set free. I don't even know if that's a thing. It's kind of an American thing. Like we come into church when I was a kid, like Amy Grant wrote the song, called them Fat Babies. Remember that song, Kenny? Fat Babies, remember that song? Like quote unquote Christians that come into church and they soak it all up. They eat all the baby food and they just get fat. They never give any of it out. They just keep getting fatter and fatter on Jesus. They know everything there is to know. They come to everything there is to come to. They haven't told one other person in the world about their faith. Their coworkers would be shocked to find out they're even a Christian. They don't even know you love Jesus. You're just a fat baby. You're just a spiritual fat baby. People in our church are no different. People have been in church for 50 years, terrified to tell somebody else about Jesus. 50 years. When are we going to grow up? People are going to hell. People are being separated eternally from God. And we're like, ah, I don't got time for that. I'm busy. I'm, I'm scared. I'm worried they won't accept it. Of course they won't accept it. They didn't all accept it when Jesus said it. But Paul says, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some. This is the mission. 
We're creating a culture of redemption, not so you can come in here and feel happy about your life. Not so you can come in here and just soak up a bunch of knowledge and get a tingle on your spine when we sing. We're creating a culture of redemption so you can go out and set people free. That's it. That's it. If you're going to come to church here, this is going to be your church family. I want to be as upfront as I can with you. We haven't changed and we're not going to change. I am willing to do anything short of sin to free somebody else. And if you're not, you're in the wrong place. I love you, but there's 125 churches in this county and a bunch of them would love to have you. We want your chair. Because this place is going to be a culture of redemption where we are giving everything we've got to give people freedom. So people can experience the real Jesus. We're not here to make you feel good. We're not here to feel good about ourselves. We're here on mission to let people experience freedom in Christ. Here's the catch to all this freedom. It's only available in Christ. Everything else is fake and phony. Freedom from sin, freedom from the law, freedom for serving, freedom for saving. It's only available if you are in Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, and ask yourself, is this, <laughs> is what Paul just described how you would say your life is? Are you becoming everything you can to everybody you can so that by any means necessary, you might win some to the faith? You might set some free. Is that your life? Does that describe you? It's amazing how many Christians claim to be free, and yet none of these four things are reality for them. They're still terrified they're going to end up in hell. They're not free from, their, from sin. They're terrified of it. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not free from the law. They're still trying their hardest to be this super good person to earn God's favor. They're, they're not serving others. They're selfish. They're not saving anyone's soul. They're living only for them. But they still call themselves a Christian. I can't find that Christian in my copy of God's Word. So listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Yes, even today, that would, I could say that same thing today. Even today, when they read the Scriptures, their hearts are covered with the veil, and they do not understand. You're going to run into people all over the place that just don't understand God's Word. That's okay. That's what they're supposed to be like. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Is that the description of you? I'm just asking you to be real. If that's not you, stop telling everybody you're a Christian. Just be the real you. You're still welcome to come here. We still want to teach you what God has to say. We still want to love you. Just don't be phony. But people who are in Christ are free. They're free from sin. They're free from the law. They're free to serve. And they're free to save others. And if that isn't what your life looks like, then somebody has led you astray and tricked you. And it certainly wasn't God because he called you to freedom. Inside that, if you go inside the Statue of Liberty and that pedestal that it sits on, there's a plaque, a very famous plaque, 
um, called the New Colossus. And the very last line of that sonnet, the very last two lines of that sonnet say this, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. The whole point of that is to say, send us everybody. All the weak and the tired and the poor, those who can't find any freedom on their own, send them to our shores. And if they can get here, if they can get here, they'll find life. The American dream, they'll find freedom. I remember uh, several years ago, I don't know if you guys can remember this or not, I've shared this with our church before, but there was a mass shooting in Las Vegas. You guys remember that? Somebody had um, gotten up into one of these uh, hotel or casinos, like on a, a high floor, knocked out the window, and they were just gunning people down in the middle of this concert. You remember that? Dozens died, right? And uh, I remember after that event on the news, I just happened to be watching. It was like so tragic. And um, the, the person, the, the reporter was interviewing a doctor at one of the hospitals in Las Vegas that had um, taken in a lot of the, a lot of the patients there, a lot of the victims, right? And uh, the reporter said to the doctor, he said, I, I understand you're a level five trauma center. And the doctor said, yeah, that's right. And he said, now, what does a level five trauma center mean? Just so you know, uh, I looked it up after this, the closest level five trauma centers to us are Lexington and in Knoxville, so you got to get pretty far to get to one. But, but uh, he said, what does a level five trauma center mean? And he said, level five trauma center means basically that layman's terms, he says, if you get to our doors alive, you won't die. That's what it means. If you can get the victim here still breathing, we will save their life no matter what's wrong with them. That's amazing, right? That's what our church is supposed to be like. If you can just drag somebody through the door, we'll give them the medicine they need. If you can just get them here, sometimes kicking and screaming, if you can just get them here, we'll offer them life and freedom. We'll show it to them. I promise we won't ever show them anything else. We're going to stay on that mission. The freedom is available in Jesus. This should be a level five trauma center where we create a culture of redemption so people can experience freedom. That's it. We're not a homeless shelter. We're not a soup kitchen. We're not a wedding venue. We're not trying to start a bunch of classes, organizations, groups, meetings, or committees. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. It's all good stuff. But at Three Strands, we have committed to our mission statement. Can you go back to the very first slide, our mission statement again? We've committed to this. And we're sticking to it because we can't do everything. So we're going to be a level five trauma center. We're going to keep creating a place where redemption is the expected norm and people are free from all the distractions out there and nobody's going to brainwash them in our church into thinking because they're too dirty or because they're dressed strong or because they don't read the right version of the Bible or because they eat food inside the gymnasium that they're going to hell. We're going to preach the real gospel to them. We're going to tell them who Jesus really is and that they can have freedom if they will just confess him as Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead. That's the gospel and we're sticking to it and we're not going to veer off because there isn't time for us to do the rest. God loved the people who are doing the rest and I love them and I don't even mind the people that go to churches at those churches. We can send people there who need those things. But in this room, at this gathering, we're going to be double down committed to this mission and people have left our church because of it. And I'm okay with that. 
I'm okay with that. I don't hate them. I'm not angry at them. If they conclude they need something else, I need better Bible teaching, go. Spread your wings and find it, my friend. Like, now I want to go somewhere where the band's better. Good luck. Good luck. I want to go somewhere where I can be on more committees and I can help more homeless people and I can do more for the community. God, God love you. Go. I'm glad those churches are there. But we've made a decision to be intentional about this mission and we're not going to leave it. And you need to know that somebody dirty might come in and sit beside you. Somebody really struggling with sin might come in and sit beside you. And I don't want them to feel like they're in the wrong place. They're in the right place. And they're out there disobeying God in every area of life. And they're cheating and they're stealing and they're sleeping around and they're misgendering him and they're unidentifying him and they're doing whatever. And we look at like, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. And as soon as I look in the mirror, I'm like, that looks like sin too. We're all in the right place. Let's see what God has to say about it. And I'm going to offer you freedom. This is the place to be. This is where redemption is going to be the norm. And you're going to come in here and we're going to experience freedom together. And if you're here today and you feel like you're too dirty to be here, you are not. You are not. I don't know. Maybe I know better than most. I'm going to wrap up. I know we're a little late today, but maybe I understand a little better than most this concept of freedom because those of you who know my story, those of you who know my story know how messed up my life has been. And you know that, like, I know what it's like to stand in front of a judge and have him sentence you to 15 years in prison, right? And then a year later to stand in front of that same judge and have him say, I'm going to let you out today. That is the two ends of imprisonment and freedom. Somebody who's really free doesn't act like they figured it all out. They don't put a bunch of expectations on other drowning victims. They look at them and say, I want you to have the same freedom I've got. Kind of pen pals with a guy in prison right now. Our life group's kind of adopted him. I talk to him on the phone about once a week. And uh, he'd give anything for freedom. You ask that guy what the American dream is, it has nothing to do with money. When you're in prison, I can tell you firsthand, when you're in prison, the the idea of the American dream has nothing to do with how many kids you have or how many dogs you got or if you have a picket fence. It's all about freedom. And so we're offering somebody better than get to our shores and we'll give you a free life in the United States. We're offering somebody free life in heaven forever. We have a better sales pitch. We have a better offering. We have a better statue of liberty. It's a cross and it's an empty tomb. And we're trying to offer it to every single person we can. I'm free. I'm gonna declare it. I'm going to spread it. I'm going to share it. I'm going to take captive any contradictory thoughts. I'm going to break down any barriers that keep people from knowing the real Jesus. And I'm going to make sure some of them experience the same freedom I've got. Some are going to say no, but I'm dragging as many back to shore with me as I can. You are the lifeguards. We get a chance to save the rest of the world. Not because we're so great. We just serve the one who's great. He gets all the credit. I want to challenge you this week to consider what we just read from God's word and ask yourself, are you free? Are you free? And if you're not in any of those areas, if you're not free from sin, if you're not free from the law, if you're not free to serve others, if you're not free to save others, 
man, I'd love if you'd come talk to me. I'd love to help you find freedom in Jesus in any of those areas. You don't have to live that way anymore. You can be really free. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed, for sure. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for their overall willingness to hear hard truth, to internalize it, and then to go out of this room and not just hear it, but to do it. God, I pray that each person who's here today, you would give them the courage it's going to take to step with faith into what you've called us to, which is freedom. That you would give them the courage to step with faith and trust in you and only you for their salvation, to declare you as their Lord and follow you, to start serving others even when they don't feel like it, to start saving others with your good news even when it seems scary. That you would just give us the courage to continue building a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the real you. God, thank you. Thank you for the truth in this series. And just bless our church, God, not so we'll be thought of as something great, but so your name will be more famous. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday, 11 a.m., at the McCreary County Park Building. We hope to see you soon.